0: Okay. The devil is described in the Bible with the many different metaphors and names. He is called the accuser of the brethren, our adversary, the great dragon, the old serpent, the piercing serpent, the crooked serpent. He's called the ruler of darkness, the wicked one, a roaring lion. And in John 8, 44 and 45, Jesus calls him a liar and the father of lies. All of this reminds us that the devil is not a joke. The devil is real. The devil is cunning and the devil is crafty and the devil is clever. The devil is a master of deception. He seeks to enter our hearts and to lead us astray just as he did Eve in the long ago as he lied to her in the Garden of Eden and said, You shall not surely die. And he continues today to spread his devilish deceptions in the 21st century. We've been engaged in the past few weeks in a series we're calling Lies the Devil Tells Us. And we've looked at some of the different lies that the devil tells, both young and old alike. This morning we want to look at just simply one lie. And that is the lie the devil says that you can't make a difference let me invite you to turn your bibles to second chronicles chapter 34 we're going to use that as a launching place for our study this morning second chronicles verse th- chapter 34 while you're turning there let me join Stephen and welcome each one we have several guests with us today we're glad you're in our number we're glad you can be with us in our worship today and we trust that you're edified uplifted as we come together to praise God and to serve Him and to study a little while from His Word, some things that I believe will help us as we think about the challenges we each face daily and the devil trying to lead us astray. Let me begin, before we get to Second Chronicles 34, with asking the question, why does Satan say that? Why, why does the devil say, you can't make a difference? And I want to just briefly suggest four reasons. There might be 40, I don't know. But one reason I think he wants to keep us from acting. Because if you believe that you're not making a difference, why work? Why be involved? Why, why do anything if you're not making a difference? And the devil knows the truth of James 2 and verse 24, where James said, Faith without works is dead, being alone. And so if we just believe but we don't do anything about our faith, then we don't make a difference and the devil wins. So that might be one reason. Another reason is it reduces the effectiveness of the church. If the devil can get enough people to believe this lie that you can't make a difference, it affects the work of ministry. It affects everything that we're trying to do as God's people. And the devil knows the truth of 1 Corinthians 12, how all the members of the body are useful, and that every member has a part, and each one of us have a role, and and that when we all come together, that indeed it does produce a synergistic effect to be able to accomplish a great good for the body of Christ. And so if the devil can undermine that, it reduces the effectiveness of the collective body of Christ. Not only that, if he can just eliminate one more good influence in the world, then the devil is happy, and the devil knows the power of one person. the devil knows that you might be that one person that makes a huge difference and the impact of your influence and, and so if the devil can dim your light or eliminate your light, it serves his ungodly cause. The devil knows the truth of jesus' statement in matthew five thirteen through sixteen that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, and that is that song, kids, that we sing in Vacation Bible School. Maybe you sing it in other classes as well. But the devil wants us to hide it under a bushel. The devil wants to blow it out. The devil wants to affect the light that we have that it doesn't shine. And if he can discourage enough people or cause enough people to hide their influence and not make a difference, then the devil is definitely happy. Why does the devil say you can't make a difference? Well, maybe it's just to create discouragement. That's one of the devil's most effective tools in his arsenal is that of discouragement. And the more people he can convince that they don't make a difference, then that discourages the rest of the folks that are trying to make a difference. And he doesn't want you to find encouragement. He wants you to come and to see discouragement. And yet when we look in the Bible, and the devil knows this, that just one or two or three people can make a huge difference. I'm reminded, I was working on this of a lesson I did a few weeks ago from 1 Corinthians 16 about refreshing Christians. And you remember those three brethren that are kind of unheralded, an unknown names: Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaeus? No one hardly knows their names, and yet Paul did because these three men encouraged Paul. They refreshed his spirit, and he says, yours. But the devil doesn't want a refreshing spirit. He wants a discouraging spirit, and so he's going to tell you, you can't make a difference. Here's the truth. You can make a difference. You can. Now let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34. You may think this is an unusual place to turn. The Second Chronicles 34 tells a wonderful account here in the time of Judah and how the Judah, you remember, had a mixture of good kings and bad kings, unlike Israel who had all bad kings. But Judah had some good kings. Judah had just come out of a period with two consecutive wicked kings. And it says about each one of them that they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they followed in the wickedness here of the previous kings. And, 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 and God was displeased with them. And they led Israel further and further into immorality and in idolatry. But in Second Chronicles 34, a boy comes to the throne of all things. And his name is Josiah. And it says in verse 1, he was only 8 years old when he became a king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And Josiah was a good king. So I want us to go through this morning and to look at some of the things that we see in his life of how we can make a difference like Josiah did. The first thing that we see here in Josiah is that he began to seek the Lord. It says here in verse 1, as I just read, that he was only eight years old when he came to the throne. And it said he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, verse 2, walking in the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And then it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, young people think about that. He was 16 years old. He'd been king for eight years of all things. And yet, he began, as he, as he's getting older. And he's thinking more seriously about his responsibility now. And he says that he begins to seek the Lord. And he understood the God of his father, David. I don't know exactly how he knew about David, but he did. Maybe he was dissatisfied with the status quo. Maybe he was dissatisfied as he saw the wickedness of, the, of Israel that had come about because of the previous kings. But he began to seek the Lord. And my point is this, that as Christians, we can make a difference when we're seeking the Lord. That if you're going to make a difference, you must seek the Lord while He is yet found. That's the wrong verse, Isaiah thirty-three. It's actually Isaiah fifty-five, verses six and seven, where Isaiah said, "Seek the Lord, while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord." The Lord's not hiding. The Lord is there. The Lord wants you to come to Him. And I might just say to the young people here this morning, the Josiah is a great example to you. To seek the Lord while you are young. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth while your mind is sharp and while your body is strong. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord before you begin to develop habits that are going to influence you for the rest of your life and to lead you astray. But whether young or old... We need to seek the Lord. It is never too early and it's never too late for us to seek the Lord. You know, I've seen men in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and yes, even 70s and 80s, begin to seek the Lord and to come into right relationship with God. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that you can make a difference when you make a decision that you are going to seek the Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you've got to start the process. Josiah began. He began. And when you read ver- the first seven verses of this, you see it didn't happen overnight. He was eight when he came to the throne. He was six, 16 when we began to seek the Lord. And in the twelfth year of his reign, it says that he began to purge Judah and Israel of these different things. Or in the eighth year of his reign, while he was young, he began to seek the Lord. And the twelfth year began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the idols that were in the land. And so here is a young man, 16, 20, 22, through the years now, he's beginning to make this progress. And it is a process that we go through. Now, he has some things against him. He was young. His age might have been against him. And his background. You know, I mentioned the previous two kings that were wicked. You know what's interesting about that? When you read the previous chapter, who these two previous kings were? Some of you already know. They were his father and his grandfather. Those were the previous two kings. You say he had two strikes against him, wouldn't you think? Now, how's he going to make a difference? I mean, his family's got a bad reputation. He's off on the wrong foot. And yet, here, for whatever reason, was a young man that decided to go against the wickedness that was a part of his family heritage. And not only that, the crowd was against him. Judah had become very idolatrous. They had forgotten God. But you know, you have to begin. You have to start the process. And so Josiah began seeking what was good. He began seeking the Lord, and he began the process. And if you're going to make a difference, you've got to start the process. And you know when you begin? You begin today. That, that's when you begin. The word of the Bible is today. The Hebrew writer said three times in Hebrews 3, today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 2, he says, Now is the time or the day of salvation. As I was thinking about this lesson, I was reminded of an old Chinese proverb that said, The best time to plant a tree was 20, 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And isn't life kind of like that, that we can look at wherever we are in our lives And think, well, I I should have done that 20 years ago. I I should have done that five years ago. I should have done that last year. I should have done that last week. Well, you didn't. And so here you are, here I am today. And so the issue is not what we did or didn't do 20 years ago or five years ago. The issue is, what am I going to do today? Today is the day of salvation. And it is a process of that we begin, that we've got to begin the process now. It's the process of growing. To grow, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 18, and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. When are you going to start growing? Well, I can look over and see these five young people sitting over here, and some of them are 16, some of them are not even 16 yet, maybe some are older. When are you going to start? Well, start now. You're not too young to start at all. In fact, I look over here and see some that are younger and they're over here taking notes, and that's good. And you're starting a process. You may be eight like Josiah. That's fine. Start. Today, start. Think about your relationship to God and who God is. Now, maybe you're sitting back here and you're 60 or 70 or 80. And you say, you know, I've spent all of my life and I should have done more. I should have studied more. I should should know the Bible better than I do right now. I should be accomplishing more and regret what you didn't do when you were these kids' age. Now, what can you do about that? Well, really, there's some total of nothing. Except you can start today. You can do that, can't you? And so wherever you are in life, then you start where you are. You start the process. That's how you make a difference. But then you got to smash the idols. Now, what we read about here. In Second Chronicles thirty four is what Josiah did. I began reading a while ago in verse three that he began to rid Jerusalem and Judea of the high places and the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. Now look at this in verse four, and they broke down the altars of the baals in his presence. And the incense altars, which are above them, he cut them down. And the wooden images, and the carved images, and the molded images, he broke in pieces, and he made dust of them, and he scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And get this, he burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he did it in the cities of Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes, and when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, and had beaten the carved images into powder, and had cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Wow! You think he's trying to make a point? I think so that when there was an altar and he saw it, he smashed it. I mean, if you're going to serve God, and if you're going to make a difference before Jehovah, you've got to get rid of the idols. You've got to smash the idols. I mean, this is graphic. This is almost extreme. You think God maybe is trying to tell us something? Anytime I study the Old Testament, I'm always reminded of Hebrews, or rather Romans, rather. I'm reminded of Romans 15 and verse 4 that whatever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so God didn't give us this so we could fill in the blanks and learn a lot of facts. I think God tells us this very graphic description to make a point to us that if we're going to serve Him, and follow him, then we got to get rid of the idols in our lives. Just like Israel got rid of the idols, just like Josiah got rid of the idols, and Judah, we got to get rid of the idols. What idols do you need to smash? You want to make a spiritual difference in the lives of other people? You can't be making a spiritual difference if you still got idols. Now, now I know we don't have wooden images and carved images and molded images and all the kind of images like they had. But do we not have idols sometimes that get a hold of us a little bit? Colossians 3, Paul said, Put to death, therefore your members that are on the earth, fornication and cleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so he even says here that idolatry is covetousness, or covetousness is idolatry. There's a lot of things that we can make in idol materialism, our things. You know, you ask asked the people down in Houston that escaped with their lives and lost everything. You know what? They tell you, it's stuff. I think most of them will just tell you it's stuff. Yeah, I I wish I had those picture albums or had this or had that or that antique, but I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad I got out of there. And I think when the people in Florida come through this hurricane and they come through with their lives intact, they'll they'll be happy even if they lose some stuff because it's just stuff. And we need to be careful. We don't get too attached to our stuff. And our stuff becomes an idol. What idols do you need to smash? What idols do you need to get rid of? Sinful pleasures? I don't know. What is it for you? Whatever it is, then if you're going to make a difference, you need to get rid of that. Well, then we need to submit to God's book. It says in chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, in verse 14, now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And then Hilkiah answered and said, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And then you go on to read, and he brought the book of the law to the king, and they gathered together. And they began to look through this, and it says here, as they brought it before the king, that it happened when the king heard, I'm in verse 19 now, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. And he commanded them, saying, verse 21, Go and inquire the Lord for me, and as to those that are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all according to that which is written in this book. You see, Josiah had a rude awakening here. That when the book of the law was brought, and they read it to Josiah, that he realized they weren't following the law. Now, there were already things that he was illuminating in Judah that he knew were wrong, like idolatry. And for whatever reason, he knew that was wrong. But now they get into the book of the law. And they inquire from God's prophet, "What what does God want us to do? And they read the book of the law, and you go on and read the next few verses. They got all the people together, and they read the book of the law. And then they made a covenant, that they were going to keep it in verse 31. And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul and to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. How are you going to make a difference if you don't submit to God's book? You want to make a lasting difference, a real difference, a spiritual difference? You have got to submit to the book of God, the Bible. You just do. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 133, Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Want to make a difference? Be directed By the word of the God. Then number five. You need to serve God. And we read through these chapters 34 and 35. That Josiah was a man that served God. In his daily walk. It says in the second verse. That he walked with God. He walked in the ways of his father David. He walked. According to the will of God, not just in name only, not just on the Sabbath day, not just when others were watching. He really did. You want to make a difference? You've got to walk with God. You need to walk according to Ephesians four, beginning of verse 17, down through the end of the chapter and into five, when he said not to walk according to the lust of the Gentiles who walk in darkness. But brother, we have to walk in love and we have to walk in truth and we have to walk according to the will and to the way of God in our daily lives and to realize that each day that we have opportunities in our walk with God to influence other people, to make a difference in the lives of other people. Last Sunday night, we presented a very simple lesson. If you work here, just go online. And listen it. Just called do good. And in each day, we have an opportunity just just to do good. It was Helen Keller, born blind and deaf, who said, I am only one, but I'm still one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Now, that's pretty good advice to live by, isn't it? Do what it is that you can do in your daily walk. And then in your heartfelt worship. One of the things that we read about in this text is Josiah restored the worship, he cleansed the temple, he reinstituted the Passover. In fact, it says in chapter 35 uh, of Second Chronicles, in verse 18, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem they never seen anything like it, is what it said. A Passover? You want to see a Passover? I mean, a heartfelt worship to God? it been nothing like that since the days of Samuel. For decades, for hundreds of years. It's an incredible thing. It was heartfelt worship. You see, you can't make a difference if you don't put your heart into worship. Because that's where we get our fuel. That's where we get our power. You can't cut corners. You can't slack off. You can't put your own personal desires and interests before the worship of God. In Psalm 22 and verse 22, David said, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And so as we come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we praise God, we make a difference. And we must do that. And then we can serve God and make a difference in our home life to those that are closest to us, to our husband, to our wife, to our parents, to our children. You remember what the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 told wives who were Christians, who had husbands who were not Christians? He didn't tell them to quit. He said, you can make a difference just by the way you live and not necessarily by preaching a sermon. In fact, he said that without a word, without preaching him a sermon, without nagging him, but just going to church, but just living a Christian life, you can make a difference. Several years ago when we moved to Palmetto, Florida, there was a man in the congregation that had just been converted before we moved there, and he was in his 40s when he was converted. Had five children. His wife had been a Christian, grown up in a Christian home. He had not. They got married, and he didn't become a Christian. For years, I guess 25 years after they were married. before he became a Christian. It was a long time. And he made it hard on her. And one by one they had children until that time they had five children. And she brought these children to church. She never missed a service. She never. I mean, not Sunday morning, not Sunday night, not Wednesday night. And Hank would try to get her to, well, why don't you go with me today and do something? No, I'm going to church. Well, what about tonight? No, I'm going to church. Jean said there there one time that he got well, he would hide the car keys, so she couldn't get the car and go to church. You know what she did? She called someone to come and get her and the five kids and take her to church. Hank told me after we moved there. If it wasn't for Jean, I wouldn't be a Christian today. Because it was her influence. And her godly example that made a difference. You know what? I saw that man grow and develop and mature. And later he became an elder in the church there. Converted a little bit later in life. That he made a difference. That Jean made a difference in that home life. And those five children, two of them are gospel preachers today. They've made difference can you make as you follow God's plan and you take Ephesians 5 and and the husband loves the wife and the wife reverences her husband and and the children are brought up in the nurtured admonition of the Lord and the children respect and honor and obey their parents your home's gonna be different than other homes of people around you in your neighborhood and your school and your workplace your your home just gonna be different you can make a difference in your home life how about in your stewardship opportunities? You know, you can make a huge difference. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2 is required of a steward that man be found faithful. Josiah was a good steward in all that was entrusted to him as, as king. Many before him were not, but he was. Will you be a good steward of the opportunities that you have? Of The occasions that you have to be able to do good as we have opportunity. And we all have different opportunities at different times. But whatever those are, we need to take advantage of those and serve God in those. And how about in your evangelistic testimony? First Peter 3 and 15 tells us that we ought to be willing to give an answer to those that ask a reason, hope that is in us with meekness and fear. But you know, there's a lot of ways in which we make a difference evangelistically, and it may not be necessarily that we're having a Bible class with someone or that we're standing up to someone against some evil or or we're teaching someone what to do to be saved. What can you do to make a difference? A couple years ago I was in a gospel meeting in Gordon, Georgia at a little congregation near the, the Hardy's Chapel Church of Christ. Maybe some of you have in there it's kind of out of the way off of the beaten path a little bit so you probably hadn't and I learned that that church was established in 1900 and I got interested in that and, and so I began to inquire and found they had a had a history of that and here's how that came about in 1894 a little orphan girl by the name of Molly Peacock was visiting some relatives in a little town in Georgia And while there, she heard a preacher by the name of W.J. Haynes and obeyed the gospel. Some period following that, little Molly was located, relocated to live with this aged aunt and uncle near Lewiston, Georgia, and there was not a faithful congregation there. And she couldn't attend worship. And so Molly, as a teenage girl, resolved to find a gospel preacher to come and plant a church there. She learned of a fellow, W.A. Cameron, very well-known gospel preacher in the early 20th century. Some of you may have heard that name, but well-known in Florida. And she wrote Brother Cameron and asked him if he would come to that community and preach. On July the 11th through the 15th, he came. And he preached nine sermons. And it aroused a great deal of interest. He came back soon and followed up with an eight day meeting and preached 16 sermons. And as a result, 24 men and women were baptized into Christ. Finally, the church was set in order, and August the 5th, 1900, began the Hardy's Chapel Church of Christ. By 1952, Brother Cameron, by his own account, had visited Hardy's Chapel 33 times had preached 458 sermons and had baptized 146 people. And that church still meets there today, and I held a meeting there two years ago. Why? Because of a teenage orphan girl by the name of Molly Peacock that you'd never heard that name until this morning. But Molly made a difference. And the brethren that meet in that congregation today and the light that shines in that little community is all because of that one little girl that made a difference. You see, the bottom line is you need to shine your light wherever you are. If you're using a hymn book, you can turn to the number it suggested. We're going to sing in just a minute. But as I was working on this sermon this week, I could not help but think of an old story. of a man who used to get up and walk the beach every morning. One particular morning, he got up to do his walking, and there had been a storm the night before. And the and the beach was just littered, as far as I could see, with starfish, just up and down the beach. As he was taking his walk and noticing this, he, he saw a little boy down the beach, and he saw he would reach down, he'd throw some in the water. And he wondered what's that fellow doing, and, and he got up closer to him and he said, "Son, what what are you what are you doing?" And the boy said, uh, "I'm throwing starfish into the ocean." He said, uh, "The tide washed them up uh, onto the beach, and." And he said, they're not going to return to the ocean by themselves. And when, when the sun comes up and it gets hot, they're going to die unless I throw them back into the water. <laughs> and the man said, Well, son, there must be tens of thousands of starfish on this beach. He said, You, you can't make a difference. The little boy just reached up and threw another one in and just kept walking along and throwing them in. And the man said, Son, there, there's too many. He said, You, you, you can't make a difference. said, son, you're not listening to me. He said, You you can't make a difference. And the little boy picked up one, he threw it in, and he turned, he said, it made a difference to that one. You know, sometimes we live in this wicked old world. And yeah, man, what difference can I make? I mean, it, it's so hard, and it's just so much it seems to be against us. one person can make a difference to the one you come in contact with to so that one you can't change the world but you might touch one life that makes a difference not only in time but in eternity the devil's a liar he wants to discourage us he wants to make us ineffective he wants to keep us from shining our light you can make As we close this morning, we sing the song that's been selected. Many of you have already chosen to seek the Lord and make a difference by being a Christian. Will you continue to make a difference and to be what you can be day by day wherever you are in whatever way that you can? If you've been unfaithful to that former pledge, then come back to it and begin again that process of doing what you ought to be doing. If you're not a Christian, why not? Why aren't you? You're never going to make a real lasting, eternal difference until you become a Christian. Through faith and repentance and baptism, through the blood of Christ and the grace of God, and your obedience to the gospel, you can begin a process that will make a difference in your life throughout eternity and the lives of others. Can we serve you? Can we help you as we stand? We're